0: Welcome to Bench Talk. My name is Sharon Korsi. This is a podcast that is carried by Dr. Dixon Chibanda from Friendship Bench. I hope you enjoy. This is going to be an exciting journey, learning about all the topics and subtopics on mental health. So let's hop into
1: episode
0: three of Bench Talk. This episode is on belonging and identity. So doc please may you tell us what does it mean to be long and also how are we connected
1: So belonging is something that we all want to have as human beings we all want to have a place that we call not necessarily home but a place where we feel familiar with the goings on, the environment, and the things that happen, you know, and belonging and feeling connected with the people, um, with, um, you know, nature and the events that are, that are happening. You know, I, I often spend quite a bit of time, you know, this is pre-COVID, between Harare and London and I always used to think I belong where I belong is here in Harare you know until I think last year just before COVID you know I was in uh, in London and when I'm in London I normally stay in Edgway uh, that's where my parents live my mother mm-hmm. and while I was in Edgway you know so you arrive I've been away for like two, three months, and I arrive in Edgeway, and uh, I get off at the um, the Edgeway Underground Station, the Northern Line, and um, I'm kind of walking to the bus, and the guy selling flowers suddenly says, hey, I haven't seen you in a while, where have you been? You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I'm trying to get my ticket to get on the bus. I get into this little kiosk and 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 the lady, the Asian lady, you know, s- who sells all sorts of stuff there, says, oh, the last time you were here, you were looking for, for coconut oil for your hair. And I kept this for you. And you suddenly feel, hey, you know, this is like uh, I belong here. People recognize me. People are interacting with me, you know. You walk past the Pretamonje, you know, corner shop, and and the guy who is, um, you know, who is selling his, you know, these magazines called Big Issue that you know people who are homeless have to sell in order. to Suddenly recognizes you and hey hey mate where where have you been you know, so it was then like kind of like I realized that you know I actually belong here too you know it's I don't just mm-hmm. belong in uh, in Harare and so. And so that's a practical example of what belonging is, you know, where you are connected with, um, with people. Because when you connect with people, um, you know, you, you then have a sense of identity that is mm-hmm. attached to that place. So that, that is what belonging is um, for me, you know. And you can, you can belong in different ways. You can belong emotionally. You can belong physically. Um, you know, but ultimately, and spiritually, ultimately, you want to belong in all of those things.
0: Mm. So what does belonging look like to the friendship bench?
1: That's a great question. Um, I guess when I think of belonging for the friendship bench or to the friendship bench, for me, it's it's the community where the grandmothers are embedded and that's where the belonging starts. You know, and recently we were talking about, you know, we were talking about how each member of the Friendship Bench team should have a home base, you know, uh, a home base clinic where they visit every week. Um, and, And that for me is so important because we need to have relationships with the communities that we serve. We need to have these relationships with the grandmothers. And, and so personally, I think that is what belonging for the Friendship Bench means, you know, creating um these safe spaces um, through the bench or through the interaction with community members, but also um enabling the Friendship Bench team members to interact more with the uh, with the grandmothers themselves, as opposed to, I guess spending most of the time at the Friendship Bench office where, I mean, there's always a lot of work to do there, but I would love to see a situation where we are spending most of our time in the community because that's really where we belong. Um, that, that's what belonging is for me when it comes to Friendship Bench.
0: Okay. So I guess I'll leave, you know, the, the, the following questions to Jean on, you know, the concept of the other would you like to explain to us, Jean?
2: Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. When I was thinking of these, I had an idea, well, not an idea, but I was thinking of, especially in the mental health world, where there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of discrimination. And I know what we've found with the French Revenge Group peer support is a huge element of belonging there is that people come and they feel understood. And they feel understood because they relate to the other people and so is there a place in the world where you think that we could have no others and it's just because we talk about mental health on a spectrum people are on a spectrum or will we always have a degree of otherness and people are sort of outside the group or inside the group
1: Hmm. that's a great question um you know otherness is a perception you know um and uh, the most sort of um uh, conspicuous sort of otherness if you like is race. you know i'm black you're mm-hmm. white you're whatever it is you know mm-hmm. but when you get down to the bottom of it all race is actually just a social construct and all these um Narratives about otherness, you know, your Shona speaking, your Zulu speaking, your Ndebele speaking, you know, yeah. your male, your female. All of that is, is perception because at the at the base of it all, it's really about understanding and respecting people for what they are. You know, mm-hmm. so if you understand and respect a person despite of their otherness, you have empathy, which is mm-hmm. fine then, you know, because diversity is great. You know, diversity is great. You know, uh, you have LGBTQ communities, you know, you all of those kind of things are really wonderful. But the important thing is really that empathy, you know making people feel respected and understood despite their otherness you know despite being black despite being white despite being a member of the lgbtq community but just this um humanity uh we call it uh, ubuntu you know um this 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 understanding that we are one you know Mm -hmm. but we are a diverse one and we want we are sharing um empathy as that one you know that's that's the way i see the the otherness you know um particularly Mm -hmm. when i travel across the world when i go for all these funny uh events and things like that the the one thing that strikes me is human beings are similar wherever you are we are all striving Mm -hmm. for the same things and we all want to be respected and understood. And that's where the empathy comes from.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I love what you shared about it being such a human construct. So it means what, what is other to me, won't necessarily be other to different people. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, makes sense. and I was also, so my other question or where I was thinking was, As it stands, we know that there is otherness because, I mean, you can't avoid it when it's all over the news type thing every day, all day. So for people that do feel otherness or are shown to be them versus they, is there still a level of sort of resilience or a bit of empowerment that people can find in in the group they've been placed or they feel they are in?
1: Yeah, I think so, um, definitely, because, you know, empower- empowerment or um, resilience, you know, um, say in the face of adversity or whichever way you want to look at it, is, is really primarily from what I have picked up over the years working as a psychiatrist, is really about understanding your anchors. Because not every day will be good. Some Mm -hmm. days will be very bad for all of us. But the critical question is, have you identified your anchors? Because if you have anchors that you nourish on a daily basis, when Things go wrong. those anchors are really in essence what determines whether you will be resilient in the face of adversity. when you don't have those anchors you know that otherness you know just you know it just you know it just, it, just it, it, can, it can it can destroy you you know I remember once traveling i was uh, I was going to Canada for a grand challenges Canada meeting and um and, and 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 we arrived in toronto and as we were going out through immigration i was singled out for what they called a random check you know these random checks you know mm. but of course there are stereotypes that people have about a black man traveling from africa with mm. funny hair uh and uh <laughs> And, and hand luggage, you know, like, how, ca- how come you, how come you are traveling all the way from Africa with just hand luggage? You know mm. I mean? That, that's how I travel. I travel light, you know? And so, um, in that, and that's that otherness, you know, because they have this image of, um, this perceived image of a person who's likely to be carrying drugs, you know? So I'm, they take me aside and, and, and I'm asked whether I have cocaine you know and i'm like no i I do not have cocaine but anyway to cut a long story short it was a very humiliating interrogation where i was i was i was really stripped and by the time i left that place uh you know i had passed anger i had passed the uh the humiliation stage i I was just numb Mm. you know and and then i get to um i got to to the hotel, you know, as I was waiting to check in um, um, this, this man, you know, this man from, uh, again, a very similar situation that I had with, uh, with Boric, this man from, from Jamaica, um, his name is Fred Hickling, he's now late, you know, um, I should show you a picture of Fred Hickling one of these days, he's, a, he's, an, he's an amazing person. He he walked up to me and, and i guess it i guess it's something about me when i've when i've when i've gone through a very difficult situation he walked up to me and, and he said brother you look really really troubled you know and and i almost cried mm. you know and and fred fred then said check in i'll be waiting for you and and there and then in 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 canada in toronto i suddenly found an anchor i do Mm. not know what would have happened without without him and we became very close friends until until he he died um uh, last year actually you know that's when uh fred fred died and and because of the relationship i i created or i had with fred hickling he then um played an instrumental role as well in in the African Mental Health Research Initiative. He was part of my advisory committee um, Mm. because I found found his take on a lot of things extremely um, clear. He had this clarity about things. Yes, he had his own um, weaknesses, I guess, Um, you know, being black, jamaican he sometimes would would come across as an angry black man but Mm. when you really listened to his story and what he went through you would understand where he was coming from but at the bottom of it all uh extreme empathy from the man once you get to know him you know but again you see it's it's um it's all these these different things that happen to us in life and how we respond to them. You know, for a very long time, I I, I always used to believe that sometimes it's also, it also has to do with luck. You know, you, you don't just meet people, you know, randomly, you know, sometimes things are aligned in a certain way, but what it, what is it that makes things aligned in a certain way? You know, I think the formative years and the way we build ourselves, uh, helps us to align certain things, you in know, a, in, a, in a certain way, you know,
2: yeah. resonate mm. with you on it, when you want to say there's a little bit of luck in it, but then there's also, from what I see in people, it's a lot of who people have shaped themselves and people who are around them have shaped them to be in their life, because I think you've still got to be open to people and be willing to be empathic and like wanting to connect with people um, and going back to always being present. Like if you were walking along and you didn't look up and look them in the eye and have that conversation, you you wouldn't have connected or what I would feel, you find belonging in someone. And what I think we also miss is that people feel belonging has to come from being in a huge community, but I think belonging can come from just one person if that yes. person is someone you can identify with that's enough you don't need to have 10 people around you if you can find one amazing person who you can connect with that's enough
1: mhm yeah all you need is one person um, mm-hmm. that is that is true if you have more that's that that is um that that is great you know and it's 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 a little bit like um like me- mentorship, you're know, having a mentor, you know, someone that you look up to, somebody who gives you, you know, uh, advice and and things like that. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people try to formalize mentorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I've learned over the years is formal mentorship sucks. <laughs> but 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 really, the best mentorship, what I've found to be the best mentorship, is identifying people in your life that you want to learn something from but you don't approach them and say hey can you be my mentor because you freak people out when you say that you know but, but just you know like but they just just developing a relationship with them like you know i consider borek to be my great mentor you know mm-hmm. um whether he knows it or not i don't I, I don't care but you know we sit down we have um we have virtual coffee sessions you know on zoom where we just chat about things so there's borek and um you know i i have uh, you know another great uh, great friend called ish um you know who who is who is he's is, is, is got a lot of brilliant ideas about a lot of things but i would never walk up to him and say, hey, I want you to be my mentor, but I would rather invite him for a cup of coffee, you know, mm. go out for dinner with him and, and, and talk, you know, and, and we need more of that, you know, we need to be identifying people in our communities who have something that we would like to have, you know, mm. and then interacting with those people on a regular basis, um, because then you grow, you're creating that connection you know, you're also strengthening that sense of belonging, you know, uh, and purpose in your life.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Just to add on to that, you know, belonging bit, the, the impact of belonging to a social group from, from what you're describing has a lot of benefits, but it also has its costs. And um, being part of a group can provide a lot of support, a lot of care and connection so I guess the the othering then creates a huge gap for those things that are lacking that, that you may need provision of, such as the friendships, the support, the care, just connection, really, and identity. Because once someone is othered, it's very hard to figure out their place in, in, in themselves and in society. So I think it's very important that... Um, this interconnectedness that we spoken about earlier as well as empathy you know coupled together create a space for social grouping that is positive mm. and i yeah. think it's you know important that we keep practicing it, not not speaking it but actually practicing it and and living it
1: yeah mm. yeah and and one way of doing it is to also practice how to let go, um, mm. you know, because we all have disappointments in our lives. Um, we, we, things always go wrong. And I think where the challenge arises is when something goes wrong, but we're not able to let go mm. Mm. because that is really the fundamental building block of creating empathy in our lives you know, the ability to let go when things go wrong. Because when you can let go, it means you can kind of understand. You can look at things from maybe the other person's perspective. You might be hurt, but you can still do that, let go, and then strive to have um, that understanding and that respect. It's very difficult to respect people who hurt you Mm -hmm. extremely difficult but i think that is like one of the gold standards that's one of the things i learned from from boric you know um people who hurt you are people who are trying to teach you something oh wow and yeah people who hurt you are people who are trying to teach you something it's it sounds profound and 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 in a way it sounds i mean how can you how can you say someone who has been sexually abused was 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 being uh, was being taught something by the by the perpetrator. Um, mm. but again, you know, when when whenever I have these deep discussions with someone like Boric, he looks at all of that in a very different way. Yes, when you've been sexually assaulted, you are hurt. You are mm-hmm. hurt, but healing. Healing will only begin to happen when you let go you know um, letting go does not necessarily mean that you have to forget you can mm-hmm. let go without forgetting and move on and create create your your new reality post whatever trauma it is that uh, that is happening you know we uh, as human beings each one of us has a story mm-hmm. and you can change your story at any time it's your story you know and and how you choose to change that story is very important because that's what helps us to to keep going that's what uh, nourishes the resilience that's what nourishes the the building blocks for empathy you know our ability to respect and understand people because as we do that, then we become more connected with people. And as we become um, more connected um, with people, um, we we have a greater sense of belonging.
0: Um, yeah,
2: absolutely. Wow. Well, this has been probably the best Friday night I've had in a long time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think really? That- yeah, yeah. Doctor C, I don't think you understand what you have in you.
1: <laughs> what do I have in me?
2: The <laughs> thing, away. Yeah, the thing. <laughs> the thing. That's it.
1: Okay. Okay. I, like
2: that. I think that's I have... us, everyone.
1: Good, wonderful. Now I can yeah. have dinner. Oh,
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, we kept you long.
1: No, it <laughs> was great. So it was great. Um, Thank you, both of you. Uh- so
0: let's hop into episode three of Bench Talk. This episode is on belonging and identity. So, please tell us what does it mean to belong, and also how how we connected? it.
1: So, belonging is something that we all want to yeah. have. We all want to have a place that we call, not necessarily home, like but a place where we feel familiar with the goings-on, the environment, and the things that happen, you know, and belonging and feeling connected with the people, um, with... Um, Nature and the events that are that I have, you know, I I often spend quite a bit of time, you know, between Harare and London, and I always used to think I belong where I belong is here, you know, until last year, just before COVID, you know, I was in uh, in London. And when I'm in London, I normally stay in Edgeway. Uh, that's where my parents, my mother, move. And while I was in Edgeway, you know, so you arrive in Hedway for like three, three months and I arrive in Edgeway and uh, I get off to the, um, the Edgeway Underground Station, the Northern Line, and I'm, I'm kind of walking to the bus and the guy's selling flowers. But he says, hey, I haven't seen you in a while, wait to get money to get together on the bus like it, 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 it's yours, yes, and, and the lady the asian lady you know settling herself you know, all sorts of stuff there say, oh the last time you were here you were looking for for coconut oil for your hair and i kept this for you and you suddenly feel hey you know this is my uh, i belong here people recognize people are interacting with me you know you walk past the uh, you know corner shop and um, you know, who is selling his, you know, these magazines called Big Issue that, you know, people who are homeless, have to sell, you order. To suddenly recognizes you and, hey, hey, mate, where have you been? You know, so it was then like, kind of like I realized that I don't just belong here too. You know, I don't just belong in, uh, in Harare. And so, and so that's a practical example of what belonging is, you know, where you are connected with, uh, with people because when you connect with people, um, you know you you then have a sense of identity that is attached to that place so that that is what belonging is uh, for me you know and you can you can belong in different ways you can belong emotionally you can belong physically um, you know but ultimately spiritually ultimately you want to belong in all of those things mm-hmm.
0: So,
1: what does belonging look like to the Friendship Bench? That's a great question. Um, I guess when I think of belonging for the Friendship Bench or to the Friendship Bench, for me it's it's the community where the grandmothers are embedded and that's where the belonging starts you know and recently we were talking about you know we were talking about how each member of the friendship bench team should have a home base you know uh, a home base clinic where they visit every week um and and that for me is so important because we need to have relationships with the communities that we serve we need to have these relationships with the grandmothers and and so Personally, I think that is what belonging for the Friendship Bench means, you know, creating um, these safe spaces um, through the bench or through the interaction with community members. But also um, enabling the Friendship Bench team members to interact more with with the grandmothers themselves, as opposed to, I guess, spending most of the time at the Friendship Bench office where, I mean, there's always a lot of work to do there. But I would love to see a situation where we are spending most of our time in the community because that's really where we belong. Um, that that's what belonging is for me when it comes to friendship bench.
0: Okay, so I guess I'll leave you know the the, the following questions to Jean on you know the concept of the other. Would you like to explain to us, Jean? Um,
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. When I was thinking of these, I had an idea, well, not an idea, but I was thinking of, especially in the mental health world, where there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of discrimination. And I know what we've found with the French bench group peer support is a huge element of belonging there is that people come and they feel understood. And they feel understood because they relate to the other people. And so is there a place in the world where you think that we could have no others and it's just because we talk about mental health on a spectrum people are on a spectrum or will we always have a degree of otherness and people are sort of outside the group or inside the group
1: Hmm. that's a great question um you know otherness is a perception you know um and the most sort of um, uh, conspicuous sort of otherness, if you like, is race. you know, I'm black, you're mm. white, you're whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you get down to the bottom of it all, race is actually just a social construct. And all these... Um, Narratives about otherness, you know, your Shona speaking, your Zulu speaking, your Ndebele speaking, you know, your male, your female. All of that is, is perception because at the at the base of it all, it's really about understanding and respecting people for what they are you know Mm -hmm. so if you understand and respect a person despite of their otherness you have empathy which is (laughs) fine then you know because diversity is great you know diversity is great you know uh, you have lgbtq communities you know you all of those kind of things are really wonderful but the important thing is really that empathy you know making people feel respected and understood despite their otherness, you know, despite being black, despite being white, despite being a member of the LGBTQ community, but just this um, humanity, uh, we call it uh, Ubuntu, you know, um, this this understanding that we are one, you know, Mm -hmm. but we are a diverse one, and we, want, we are sharing um, empathy as that one. You know, that's, that's the way I see the, the otherness, you know, um, particularly mm-hmm. when I travel across the world, when I go for all these funny uh, events and things like that. The, the one thing that strikes me is human beings are similar wherever you are. We are all striving for the same things and we all want to be respected and understood, and that's where the empathy comes from.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, and I love what you shared about it being such a human construct. So it means what what is other to me won't necessarily be other to different people. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, makes sense. And I was also so my other question, or where I was thinking was. As it stands, we know that there is otherness because, I mean, you can't avoid it when it's all over the news type thing, every day, all day. So for people that do feel otherness or are shown to be them versus they, is there still a level of sort of resilience or a bit of empowerment that people can find in in the group they've been placed or they feel they are in?
1: Yeah, I think so, um, definitely, because, you know, empower- empowerment or um, resilience, you know, um, say in the face of adversity or whichever way you want to look at it, is, is really primarily from what I have picked up over the years working as a psychiatrist, is really about understanding your anchors. Because not every day will be good. Some Mm -hmm. days will be very bad for all of us. But the critical question is, have you identified your anchors? Because if you have anchors that you nourish on a daily basis, when Things go wrong. those anchors are really in essence what determines whether you will be resilient in the face of adversity. when you don't have those anchors, you know that otherness you know it just you know it just you know it just it, just, it, it, can, it can it can destroy you you know I remember once traveling i was uh, I was going to Canada for a Grand challenges Canada meeting and um and, and 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 we arrived in toronto and as we were going out through immigration i was singled out for what they called a random check you know these random checks you know mm. but of course there are stereotypes that people have about a black man traveling from africa with mm. funny hair uh and uh <laughs> And, and hand luggage, you know like how, ca- how come you how come you are traveling all the way from Africa with just hand luggage? you know mm. I mean that, that's how I travel. I travel light, you know and so um, in that and that's that otherness, you know because they have this image of um, this perceived image of a person who's likely to be carrying drugs. you know so I'm, they take me aside and, and and I'm asked whether I have cocaine. Mm. you know and i'm like no i I do not have cocaine but anyway to cut a long story short it was a very humiliating interrogation where i was i was i was really stripped and by the time i left that place uh you know i had passed anger i had passed the uh the humiliation stage i I was just numb Mm. you know and and then i get to um i got to to the hotel, you know, as I was waiting to check in, um, um, this, this man, you know, this man from, again, a very similar situation that I had with, uh, with Boric. this man from, from Jamaica, um, his name is Fred Hickling. He's now late. You know, um, I should show you a picture of Fred Hickling one of these days. He's an, he's an amazing person. He, he walked up to me and, and I guess it, I guess it's something about me when I've, when i when I've gone through a very difficult situation, he walked up to me and, and he said, brother, you look really, really troubled, you know, and, and I almost cried, mm. you know, and, and Fred, Fred then said, check in, I'll be waiting for you. And, and there and then in, 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 in Canada, in Toronto, I suddenly found an anchor. I do not know what would have happened without without him, and we became very close friends until until he he died um, uh, last year. Actually, you know that's when uh, Fred Fred died, and and because of the relationship I I created or I had with Fred Hickling, he then um, played an instrumental role as well in in the African Mental Health Research Initiative. He was part of my advisory committee um, mm. because I found I found his take on a lot of things extremely um, clear. He had this clarity about things. Yes, he had his own um, weaknesses, I guess. Um, you know, being black Jamaican, he sometimes would would come across as an angry black man. But when you really listened to his story and what he went through, you would understand where he was coming from. But at the bottom of it all uh extreme empathy from the man once you get to know him, you know but again, you see it's it's um it's all these these different things that happen to us in life and how we respond to them you know for a very long time i I, I always used to believe that sometimes it's also it also has to do with luck you know Mm -hmm. you you don't just meet people you know randomly you know sometimes things are aligned in a certain way but what it what is it that makes things aligned in a certain way you know i think the formative years and the way we build ourselves uh helps us to align certain things in a in a a certain way you know yeah
2: Mm with you on it when you want to say there's a little bit of luck in it but then there's also from what i see in people it's a lot of who people have shaped themselves and people who are around them have shaped them to be in their life because i think you've still got to be open to people and be willing to be empathic and like wanting to connect with people um And going back to always being present like if you were walking along and you didn't look up and look him in the eye and have that conversation you wouldn't have you wouldn't have connected or what i would feel you find belonging in someone and what i think we also miss is that people feel belonging has to come from being in a huge community but i think belonging can come from just one person if that person is someone you can identify with that's enough you don't need to have 10 people around you if you can find one amazing person who you can connect with that's enough
1: mhm yeah all you need is one person um mm-hmm. that is that is true if you have more that's that that is um that that is great you know and it's 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 a little bit like um like me- mentorship you're having a mentor you know someone that you look up to somebody who gives you you know, uh, advice and, and things like that. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people try to formalize mentorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I've learned over the years is formal mentorship sucks. <laughs> but, but, but really the best mentorship, what I've found to be the best mentorship is identifying people in your life that you want to learn something from But you don't approach them and say, hey, can you be my mentor? Because you freak people out when you say that. You know, but but just, you know, like, but they're just just developing a relationship with them. Like, you know, I consider Borek to be my great mentor. You know, um, whether he knows it or not, I don't don't care. But, you know, we sit down, we have... we have virtual coffee sessions, you know, on Zoom, where we just chat about things. So there's Borek and, um, you know, uh, I, I have, uh, you know, another great uh, great friend called Ish, um, you know, who, who is, who is, he's is, is, is got a lot of brilliant ideas about a lot of things, but I, I would never, walk up to him and say, hey, I want you to be my mentor, but I would rather invite him for a cup of coffee, you know, mm-hmm. go out for dinner with him and, and, and talk, you know, and, and we need more of that, you know, we need to be identifying people in our communities who have something that we would like to have, you know, mm-hmm. and then interacting with those people on a regular basis, um, because then you grow, you're creating that connection, you know, you're also strengthening that sense of belonging, you know, uh, and purpose in your life. Mm
0: -hmm. Just to add on to that, you know, belonging bit, the the impact of belonging to a social group from from what you're describing has a lot of benefits, but it also has its costs. And um, being part of a group can provide a lot of support, a lot of care and connection. So I guess the, the othering then creates a huge gap for those things that are lacking that, that you may need provision of, such as the friendships, the support, the care, just connection, really, and identity. Because once someone is othered, it's very hard to figure out their place in, in, in themselves and in society. So I think it's very important that um, this interconnectedness that we've spoken about earlier, as well as empathy you know, couple together, create a space for social grouping that is positive. Mm. And I yeah. think it's, you know, important that we keep practicing it, not not speaking it, but actually practicing it and, and living it.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah, and, and one way of doing it is to also practice how to let go. Um, mm. You know, because we all have disappointments in our lives. Um, we we Things always go wrong. And I think where the challenge arises is when something goes wrong, but we're not able to let go. Mm-hmm. Because that is really the fundamental building block of creating empathy in our lives. You know, the ability to let go when things go wrong. Because when you can let go, it means you can kind of understand you can look at things from maybe the other person's perspective you might be hurt but you can still do that let go and then strive to have um that understanding and that respect it's very difficult to respect people who hurt you Mm -hmm. extremely difficult but I think that is like one of the gold standards that's one of the things I learned from from Borek you know um people who hurt you are people who are trying to teach you something oh wow and, yeah people who hurt you are people who are trying to teach you something it's it sounds profound and and, and in a way it sounds i mean how can you how can you say someone who has been sexually abused was 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 being uh was being taught something by the by the perpetrator. Um, mm. But again, you know, when, when, whenever I have these deep discussions with someone like Boric, he looks at all of that in a very different way. Yes, when you've been sexually assaulted, you are hurt. You are mm-hmm. hurt. But healing, healing will only begin to happen when you let go. You know, um, letting go does not necessarily mean that you have to forget. You can mm. let go without forgetting and move on and create create your your new reality post whatever trauma it is that uh, that is happening you know we uh, as human beings each one of us has a story mm-hmm. and you can change your story at any time it's your story you know and and how you choose to change that story is very important because that's what helps us to to keep going. That's what uh, nourishes the resilience. That's what nourishes the the building blocks for empathy, you know, our ability to respect and understand people. Because as we do that, then we become more connected with people. And as we become um, more connected um, with people, um, we we have a greater sense of belonging. Mm,
2: yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, this has been probably the best Friday night I've had in a long time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think really? that. Yeah. yeah. Dr. C, I don't think you understand what you have in you.
1: <laughs> what do I have in me?
2: The <laughs> thing. Away. Yeah. The thing. The thing. <laughs> That's it.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: I think that's Uh, us, everyone.
1: Good, wonderful. Now I can have dinner. Oh,
2: (laughs) thank you,
0: (laughs) Yes, We kept you long. No, it (laughs) was great. It was
1: great. Um, Thank you, both of you. Um, So I'm not an expert on the subject of intergenerational connectedness, but I can share my own personal observations and, um, you know, my interaction over the years as a child, growing up with my my grandparents. I never actually, um, my paternal grandfather, I never actually saw my paternal grandfather. He died. Um, he died before I was born. But my two grandmothers um, have been very instrumental. So intergenerational connectedness for me in a very simple way is is a mutual existence between different generations where both generations benefit from the relationship and i it's it's something that i i never really quite paid much attention to like you know i guess like like empathy until much later on in my life you know when i began to put one and one together and in the intergenerational connectedness it's again, it's the same thing after observing my relationships with, um, you know, say my grand, my grandmother's, you know, my paternal grandmother, she, she, she died, you know, must have been probably 15 years ago. So it's a while back, but, um, we were fortunate that she was, um, she was an educated woman and it's, it's rare to find a woman of her generation, a black woman who was educated, who could read and write, and so she was quite a learned woman. Um, and she always used to talk to us ab- about about her life and and the stories um, that she had heard from her parents. You know, so she passed on this this uh, this wealth of storytelling, I guess um to to us children and and that i think must have contributed to some of my um interest in uh in storytelling and also the um you know the use of and encouraging storytelling on the friendship bench as well which i subsequently then picked up from the grandmothers that we work with on friendship bench uh, not to mention my my maternal grandmother, who actually lived in uh, in Bari, you know, um, when Friendship Bench was first um, was first starting. So you know, in a nutshell, intergenerational connectedness for me is is something that is very important because it it creates again going back to that word uh, a sense of belonging because if you think of the, like the grandmothers within Friendship Bench, if you think of the grandmothers as the custodians of, you know, the local culture and wisdom, you know, they, they are almost like an anchor, you know, because they are holding the foundation of communities together. And young people need that grounding. And I see the, the grandmothers playing a part in instilling a sense of belonging, um, in instilling this ability to understand um, our culture, you know, for for young people. And on the other hand, I see the young people, you know, contributing towards um, helping the grandmothers with some of the challenges that they face. I mean, if you think of Friendship Bench, grandmothers struggle with using, you know, technology, whether it's a smartphone or, or a tablet. And these young buddies, youth Friendship Bench buddies or research assistants they really sort of blend well with the grandmothers, you know, where the grandmothers help with this uh, grounding and the young people help the grandmothers to, to use technology. You know, that's a, it's a good example of that intergenerational, intergenerational connectedness coming together for mutual benefit. Hmm.
0: It's very interesting. And I like the fact that you used a practical example that um, is easy for us to go back to. I, I also found it interesting that when I was doing a little bit of reading up on intergenerational connectedness, in the context of mental health spaces, it's very rare to find people talking about it. If anything, you'll find it more in the theological studies um, with elements of mental health, but really intergener- intergenerational connectedness seems to be something that I guess is on the rise and it's very interesting and somewhat amazing to witness how it's being integrated into mental health spaces such as Friendship Bench.
1: Yeah you know I mean with uh, I guess when you look at the um, the age distribution globally uh, of the global population Older people are living much longer, and a lot of them are extremely active. You know, because with you know technology and the improvement in uh, in in the way um, public health uh, is run, people are living much longer, and so people who are older can continue to play a role in communities, particularly when it comes to creating you know that sense of belonging and and a sense of direction for for younger people because they have they have so much lived experience you know they mm-hmm. have so many stories to tell um and so it's so i think it's it's a wonderful thing that you know at friendship bench we are seeing this not because it was planned i think it's something that that just happened you know yeah. um Uh, You know, like in response to COVID, we realized that we needed to train more young people who could deliver uh, Friendship Bench, you know, using our open line. Um, But inherently, that also resulted in those young people interacting a lot more with the grandmothers, you know, uh, when they go to the clinics or the grandmothers who are trying to use the platform. And so you're seeing um, this interaction between young people and, and the grandmothers or older people. Um, which I think we need to leverage, which can help us to grow, you know, which can really help um, Friendship Bench to move into a different um, area altogether that we, we never thought of.
0: Mm. So I guess we could move on to how technology may have, co- may have caused a gap in intergenerational connectedness.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. So yes, technology has, has, um, has caused the gap in intergenerational connectedness, but it's, you know, with Friendship Bench, it was actually because of technology that we, we thought, you know, young people are better at doing this. And, uh, and then we see this, um, this connection, uh, which it's still formative, you know, it's still early days, actually. But when you think of the bigger picture, the broader picture, definitely technology has contributed a lot more to um, to to the gap because um, young people are more likely to spend much of their time interacting with their gadgets uh, as opposed to you know interacting with uh with older people and how do we create that that sense of um of connection between, uh, between, say, the grandmothers and young people or older people in general. And, and I think it has to be a deliberate attempt. It has to be a deliberate uh, effort which aims to elevate the position of, older, of our older uh, generation in our communities, in society where we give them important, important roles, roles. To, to play. If you think of Friendship Bench, the role that the grandmothers play on the Friendship Bench is very important. And that gives them uh, a sense of purpose in their community. And through that sense of purpose, they are then able uh, to connect with uh, younger people. They are able to, to interact with young people and talk to young people who may be struggling on different issues. You know, when you think of COVID, for instance, your average young person um, working on Friendship Bench is, is able to navigate the digital platform, you know, to help people who are struggling with some of the issues linked to COVID, you know, particularly things like, um, like intimate partner violence, you know, domestic violence, which has really been on the increase um, during these lockdown uh, periods. But the grandmother, with her lived experience, may be in a stronger position to actually assist someone who is going through, um, through, through that, that kind of challenge. Um, you know, and and that's, that's where again, we can create a way of enabling young people to, to work closely with a grandmother. You know, almost like a, a peer relationship um, where the young person helps the grandmother to really tap into uh, wisdom um, and her uh, lived experience uh, without being prescriptive without um, you know um, giving you know wrong advice for instance uh, so I I, I I see that as as the future of of the work that we do, where we increasingly bring these two different generations together to improve the services that we deliver so that it 's truly um, giving the people we're trying to help the opportunity to, to share their stories in a non-judgmental, uh, in a non-critical sort of um, platform.
0: Okay. So pretty much, you know, technology can or has potential to cause a gap, but in the context of Friendship Bench, it's kind of actually bridging that gap. And
1: um... Yeah, well, this is, you know, this is the hope. But um, of course, you know, the irony of it all is that it might bridge the gap at Friendship Bench, but a lot of these young people when they get home are actually not communicating with their, with their parents or their grandmothers. They are busy <laughs> yes. on their gadgets, you know. <laughs> um, so, so whether we are actually making a huge difference, I, I, I do not know. But I think there's, there's hope um, that by, by linking and creating these connections uh, with between young people and older people, and and also encouraging young people to to help or empower the grandmothers to use how on on how to use gadgets. We are creating a relationship. I think it's all about relationship building. You know, when okay. relationships are built, um, you know there's 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 more uh, respect for one another. You know, again we go back to that issue of of empathy. You know, you understand and you respect each other. And the age almost becomes uh, insignificant. The age difference.
0: Okay. So, do you think that the COVID nineteen pandemic has made it more necessary for generations to work together, given the lockdown conditions?
1: Ah, uh, yes, I, I do think so. Um, you know, COVID has has changed the way the way we live. Um. I I think COVID has enabled us to see things that we would otherwise not see and value things that we would otherwise not value, you know, like relationships um, and the importance of just connecting, you know, the importance of, um, you know, of, of creating a sense of belonging you know, in communities, you know, and having purpose, you know, I've often, I've often ha- heard people talking about how, you know, they've lost their sense of purpose as a result of, um, as a result of, um, of COVID, you know, because they, they just, you know, they, they don't know what is, what is, uh, what is happening um, out there and how to and and how to reintegrate into you know into society you know all of these all of these challenges you know that people you know have been facing are are quite are quite hectic but you know there's always there's always um a way of of bringing people um together
0: okay um I guess following up on our previous episode, do you then believe that we need to listen more to the generations outside our own so we may create more empathic communities?
1: We do not. It's, yes, definitely. Not only so we can create more empathic community, um, but also so that we can have um, a sense of identity uh, a mm-hmm. sense of understanding the future in terms of where we're going um, and, um, you know, uh, creating a sense of purpose and also just feeling, creating this sense of, uh, of control of the situations in, uh, in our lives, in our, in our destiny. Um, we all need, we all want to feel connected, you know, bonded, um, or what's the word? Secure, or included, and and I think you know this whole connectedness uh, enables people to to feel that, especially when you're interacting with. Uh, and I, I certainly feel it when I'm interacting with the grandmothers, and and that's one thing I really miss a lot um, because I'm not interacting with them as much as uh, as I used to before. But they just have this amazing ability of 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 saying things in a I guess it comes with uh with a lived experience, you know, of having lived for, for so many years. You know, uh just being able to to say things in a very simple way, you know, uh, and creating that need to feel uh that sense of belonging or grounding as I s as I mentioned earlier on, you know, um, you know, like grounded in a community. Uh, and it's it's through that grounding in our communities that we then Understand and realize the importance of doing things uh, with other members of our community and reaching out to those in our communities that that need um, that need our support or help.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think of you know this
2: conversation, Gene? Um, I'm worried about that. I've got an echo. But besides that, I think it's um, it's something that's different growing up because you don't really recognize things, say, in your elders until you are older. And then you're like, wow, I wish I had just paid more attention to this. And I think if there's more awareness um, mm-hmm. and sort of patience across, across generations, it could make, I don't know, just healthier, happier communities instead of just rushing off those things which are... Um, but they're getting old or oh but they're teenagers like there's a lot that's just minimized and i think if we could just actually acknowledge where people are in their lives it would make a big difference
1: yeah i totally agree with that that's um you've put it very nicely there um you know but i i also think i mean i don't want to claim to have had um this clarity when i was younger no definitely i didn't but I think what has happened in my case is I've, I've been able to look back at my childhood. And by looking back, you, you kind of appreciate the things that back then you actually you know, didn't even recognize were important in your life. And so I think it's never too late to reconnect mm-hmm with those earlier childhood interactions with your grandparents, with your, with your, with your, with your parents, you know, um, that's what I, I often do. You know, like when I'm in a crisis, sometimes I will just go back to a particular situation, which was a crisis in the family and what happened, who, who did I rely on, you know, when that crisis was happening and you then kind of begin to see how that person played a critical role in helping you through as a child you know um mm. so that's that's one way of looking at it i guess
0: hmm. That's it's very insightful and i think it's very important to create a space where you can engage people that are not just um young but old and give older and and given the topic of intergenerational connectedness, I think it's a great way to start that conversation on how sometimes the most effective way to solve certain issues and conflict or just social issues in general is through connection and making those connections with people who are outside of our generation as they may have different lived experiences.
1: Yeah yeah
2: and oh, I, I guess okay. yes please go on oh i was just gonna say i've always found when i've been in a bad place um sort of mainly something i found so relaxing is to older people and hearing their stories of the past um mm. i've always just and through their problems through everything and knowing that then they're sitting there in front of me it's sort of like it does give people hope that Yes, things happen in life, but life goes on. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
1: yeah. That is so important, Jean. You know, I think um, if we spent more time interacting with older people, we, we could learn a lot more. And, you know, and one of the things I've discovered is it's not about interacting with older people who are, you know, who are educated, who've done well in life. Any older mm. person you know, mm. will teach you something profound, you know. Um, and so, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older myself. You know, I, I, find, <laughs> I find a lot of my interactions with older, with men particularly, well, women as well, who are, who are much older than me. I find them really meaningful, you know, um, whether, whether it be a political discussion or whether it's a discussion about COVID, or some of the social challenges we are facing here in Zimbabwe, you know, whether you're talking about intimate partner violence. It's just amazing to, to, to look at the, the different perspectives that um, some of our older generation have on, on these things.
2: Yeah, yeah I agree. agree.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Right. So I guess this is the end of this episode on intergenerational connectedness. Thank you so much for your input. Thank you.
1: So so what happens now? I go off?
0: Yes, and then we do the last